Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to the All Things Gymnastics Podcast. This is going to be a super quick episode this week that Ashley and I are just throwing together. As you can tell, there's no intro. We're not going to do an outro. We're skipping all the unnecessary steps for this. We're just throwing this together because conference championships just happened over the weekend. We want to mention some of the highlights from that, as well as preview regionals and some of our hopes and dreams for that now that the official seedings for regionals are out. Ashley and I just returned home from the Big Ten Championships in Iowa. We actually drove, so it was like a six and a half hour drive, which is really boring. We and Brittany like to road trip, but I have to say, going through Illinois, Iowa, I've also heard Nebraska is very similar. Just a lot of nothingness for miles and miles and miles. Illinois is particularly bad. No offense to people from Illinois. I just, it's such a boring state to drive through. (laughs) So it was a brutal six and a half hours. We got home in the evening last night and then today has just been, you know, trying to catch up on work and get back into the swing of things. So that's why we were just throwing this together really quick. Also still trying to catch up on everything that happened over the weekend just because with being at Big Tens, we weren't really able to watch and soak in everything live like we would normally do. So um, still playing a little bit of catch up, but just kind of wanted to briefly talk about conference championships and then also share our thoughts for regionals. So we're just going to say the winner of each conference championship and then we'll add anything if we have anything that we have to say about anyone in particular. So starting with the Mick Championships, which was on Friday, that was won by Illinois State. They posted a 196.375, and that was actually a program record for them. So shout out to Illinois State. And Jay Mack, former podcast guest, love to see it. Yeah, she defended her floor title. So that's really great to see. And honestly, they've been impressing me all season long. They have some tremendous vaulters. Um, really just a program that's on the rise, so really cool to see them get a program record, you know, at the end of the season in their, their conference championship and come away with the title. And hoping that next year we can see a team like Illinois State at regionals, because I really think they have the potential to do that. I'd love that. A team that we've seen at regionals in the past that we're unfortunately not going to see this year, sad tears coming out. <laughs> But they did win their conference championships was... Happy Tears. Yes, Happy Tears. Central Michigan. So they won the MAC championships with the 196-525. And then, of course, our former podcast guest, Hannah Demers, has advanced on to regionals as an individual in the all-around. So not quite done yet for Hannah. But I do think this is going to be her last season of gymnastics, which we're super sad about. I know originally she was thinking about doing the fifth year, kind of contemplating it, but it very much sounds like from her Instagram post that this is going to be the end for her. So after regionals, she is sadly going to be done, which really made me sad. I mean, this is the point in the season where we're starting to see some retirement posts, especially from some of those, you know, lower ranked teams that don't really necessarily move on or aren't guaranteed to move on to postseason right. or even have individuals. Um, this You're is watching where, this not knowing, like, is this the end? Yeah, and then this is where the retirement posts kind of start. So getting myself emotionally prepared for that... <laughs> And Hannah Demers is definitely going to be one that we're going to miss in the future, but not done yet. She's got to get through regionals. Well, and she's been such an integral part of the rise of Central Michigan Gymnastics, and they have, you know, a lot of incredible athletes on their team, but Hannah has been such a big part of that program and everything that she's accomplished. I'm hoping that she can advance to the NCAA championships again, because she did that back in 2021. She made it on bars. 
So I'm hoping that she'll make it back there again this year, maybe as an all-arounder, but it's always tricky with those individuals having to edge out some of the top teams in the country when it comes to either just an event or as an all-arounder. It's not an easy thing to do, so I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Hannah because I just... I love her so much, but we'll have to see how things unfold. Well, I wanted to mention real quickly that Hannah, uh, going back to the MAC Championship, she defended her all-around title with a 39.475, which is super great. She won the floor with a 9.95, which is matching her career high. She actually tied with Peyton Murphy from Western Michigan. She also won the bars title with a 9.95, matching her career high, I believe. So she really did have just a phenomenal day. And she also won MAC Senior Gymnast of the Year as well. So very well-deserved honor for Hannah DeMars. Moving on to the MPSF Championships, we had UC Davis with the 1962. The GEC Championships, we had Penn with the 194.925. The Eagle Championships went to Towson with the 1965. The Mountain Rim Gymnastics Conference Championships went to Southern Utah with the 196.875. And then the bigger, the quote unquote bigger conferences, we had Oklahoma defending their Big 12 championship title. Really no surprises there. With a 198.4, which is a huge score. And I think definitely solidifies them as the favorite going into the postseason. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't they actually get a 198.5? Yes. But then they had a 10th deduction, a neutral deduction taken for going out of order. I, it was either on vault or bars. I don't remember why. I haven't. This is one of those meets that I haven't watched yet. So just looking at scores and basing it off of things that I saw on Twitter, I believe I read somewhere that there was a 10th neutral deduction taken, which is actually still a really impressive score to get a 1984 and still have that be your score after that deduction is taken. Yeah. Well, and if they did have just the 1985, that would have been the highest score of the entire conference championships weekend but that actually once the score was dropped went to florida who won the sec championships with the 198425 so just barely topped oklahoma's score not that it really matters but it's always interesting just to kind of line up and see you know conference championships weekend as a whole where the teams fall especially those top teams that are in contention for the national title i think a lot of people are expecting Oklahoma to do it. And a lot of people are talking about Oklahoma repeating, which I would say that they are the favorites, but there's teams like Florida who are also looking really, really good. I think as season has gone on, they've gotten just a little bit better and better. And I really think that aside from Vol at the SEC Championships, Vol's kind of been their, I'm putting this in air quotes, weak point. Because it's not really a weak point when you compare it to it's a weak point when you compare it to the other very top teams. Yeah. But there's a across lot of te- the incident play as a whole, they, a lot of teams would love to have a lineup yes, like Florida. So exactly. it's not really like a weak point, but I guess in comparison to, you know, in Oklahoma or Michigan, it's weak. Well, I think it's more weak just because they don't have a full lineup of 10 of start values, which not as many teams do this year. Michigan is one in the past that always has, but they actually have a full in their lineup going into postseason this year. So they're not like the only team that doesn't have a full lineup of 10 of start values, but I think the issue with Florida is more just finding those landings. Mm-hmm. And either sticking or having really small deductions. They've had some pretty big, I guess in air quotes, deductions with steps and hops in the last couple of meets. So that's something that 
they're definitely going to want to improve upon heading into regionals and the NCAA championships. But a good meet for Florida, I think really not that surprising that they came away with the title. They were definitely the favorite in that competition. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, they started on vol, and then after that, bars, beam, floor, pretty much lights out some of their best gymnastics that I think that we've seen all season for Trinity them. got two tens, so she's inching closer to that 10-0 record. Yeah, she needs one more 10 to tie Jamie Dancer and Jenny Hansen, and two more to break their 10 record which Trinity does have a pretty good track record of getting 10s in the postseason yeah she got a 10 on every single floor routine last year in the postseason so, so I think it's I mean I don't want to say it's safe to say because you never know in gymnastics but I think that Trinity has a pretty pretty good chance of if there's doing anyone that. that you would place a bet on to get a perfect 10 multiple <laughs> perfect 10s in the postseason it would be someone like Trinity Thomas absolutely so that's something that we're looking forward to. Um, I think other highlights from the SEC championships that come to mind, Sloan Blakely looked phenomenal. Her vault was the best that she's done all season. Absolutely drilled it. I think she actually may have had a tiny hop. Yeah, she did. But it was still a really, really cleanly executed vault. One of the better ones that she's done so far. Bars is looking great. Yeah, really, really happy to see that she's finally coming along and putting out some of the gymnastics that we've all known that she's capable of doing, like what we used to see when she was in J.O. before coming to Florida. She mm -hmm. was an absolute rock star and has had a little bit of a slow start, but I really think that she's coming along nicely as we inch closer to the end of season. Same thing with Riley. She has made her way into the bar and beam lineup. Absolutely stunning on those two events. Actually, the week prior, got a career high 995 on beam, and I believe she got that on bars as well. She got week. it. I can't remember what meet it was exactly. She's been getting 99 plus scores for the most part, which is good, and she has gotten 995 on bars yes, this season. Because I think bars is an event last season, especially the dismount that she was struggling to get, but really seems to have found something that works for her and confidence is building so mm -hmm. so so happy to see her back out there killing it and florida with this performance at secs did move ahead of michigan in the national ranking so they're now second in the nation and kind of shifted things around from what we thought was going to end up happening with the regional placements because originally michigan was slated to go to pittsburgh and now michigan's going to be in Denver and Florida is going to be at Pittsburgh just because they flip-flopped. Michigan needed like a 198, 125, I think it was. 175, something like that. At conference championships and they just, we'll get to it in a second, but they posted just a 198 and then Florida needed like a 1982 something to move into second, which... And they went well above that. Yeah, and they obviously did. So that's kind of how things are looking for Florida as they get ready for regionals. We'll mention Pac-12's next. We had University of Utah defend its title. Again, this is now the third year in a row that they have won. And I believe that's a record. I so believe so, yeah. They won with a 197-925. And I know this was a meet that was maybe a little bit controversial. I had everyone online talking. We had to go back and watch it because we missed most of it initially when it was live. Yeah, we were able to catch the last rotation. So we saw Utah put up a pretty good vault rotation. Probably the best one they've done all season. And we also had the sound off because we were watching SECs on another computer. So didn't really know what was going on on the Pac-12 broadcast. Uh, didn't hear the commentary. Wasn't really seeing the scores. 
kind of just watching and then also simultaneously following SECs. So um, that was definitely an interesting one to go back and watch. Like Ashley mentioned, I think there was a lot of controversy. Um, <laughs> people online, you know, not agreeing with the outcome of the meet. And I don't really know how I feel about it. I think it's difficult to say because the broadcast didn't really show everything. Yeah. Like the SEC championships and honestly the Big Ten championships as well did a really nice job of showing almost every single routine at least from the the teams that were like in contention for the title. Yeah. Whether it's like a multi-box screen or it's going back and showing a routine even if it's not live they show you the ones that you just missed a couple minutes ago. Yeah. I feel like we missed a lot of Pac-12s. Like UCLA's ball rotation for example they posted a 49-175 which is a pretty Pretty low score for them, I would say, but we didn't really get to see too much of that vault rotation. Like we didn't see Selena Harris on vault, unless I'm like totally mistaken and they did show her, but I did, I have no memory of seeing Selena Harris on vault. Well, in, in the first rotation, Oregon State went 49-5 on beam and I feel like we hardly saw any of their beam routines. I think we saw two of them. We saw Jade Carey, she got a 9-9-7-5, which should not have been a 9-9-7-5. That was like a 9-9... <laughs> type of beam routine. Yeah, no offense to Jay, but this is kind of starting to become a theme, I feel like, where she's getting the Olympian bonus. For sure, because she had tiny little checks on almost everything that she did, and it's nothing major, but it's also not perfection, and so we can't act like it's perfection, even if it's just from, you know, a couple of the judges or one of the judges. There's just no way that mathematically that score should have worked out to be a 9975, mm -hmm. um, and at least in my opinion, it seems like that's the general consensus. Most people online seem to think that. <laughs> Most people seem to think that if you have a mistake, you can't be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, not, not a hot take, or it shouldn't be at least. <laughs> but yeah, so we didn't really see um, a lot of UCLA on Vol, but they started off not their best. Let's see here. I'm pulling up the individual scores just so I can reference. Yeah, so Emma Malibuyo got a 9575, which is uncharacteristic for her. Um, Emily Lee got a 9-8. Selena Harris got a 9-8, which is a missed opportunity because she is one of only two 10 star values in UCLA's lineup. She's very much capable of going 9-9+. plus. So that's about a tenth there that they lost. Mars got a 9-7-7-5. Jordan got a 9-9, which I felt like was a little bit underscored. Um, I would have been okay with a 9-9-5 for that. It's a, a very clean, dynamic vault. Just about a half-tenth top back. The judges took a tenth. Um, and then Shay Campbell with a 9-9. So... Yeah, not quite what they are capable of on that event. Um, bars was really good. And then Beam, I think, where things got interesting was both Utah and UCLA had mistakes on Beam. Mistakes that were, particularly for Utah, I thought pretty costly, but they still managed to get pretty decent scores. Abby Paulson got a 9.775 and she had two pretty significant wobbles in her routine. So that score didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. McKenna Smith got a 9.725. Crystal Issa, I believe, got a 9.95 and she was slightly off on her series. Nothing major, but like she was slightly off and she still... You know, she was able to keep the routine moving, but I felt like 9.95 was a little bit generous. So definitely some questionable scoring there. But I also feel like, and this is where it's a little bit interesting, I feel like UCLA also didn't do what they were capable of, of doing on beam either. Jordan Childs had a really rough routine, so that was a missed opportunity there. Anna Pedereriu, yeah. she missed her foot on her dismount and she under-rotated. She still got it to her feet, but she had a, she kind of had a squatty step back dismount um, and still managed to go 985, which I thought was pretty generous. Yeah. 
Um, so that score probably could have been lowered. Sienna Lipioga, 985. Everything else from there was pretty good. I feel like Selena Harris's 995 was low considering the 9975 that they gave to Jade Carey. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, kind of just around the board, I feel like Beam was the one event that was definitely the most questionable, but I feel like in some ways, what Utah gave up on beam, UCLA between their vaults and, you know, a couple shaky beam routines almost gave it right back because Utah was lights out the rest of the way. Yeah, I was going to say they had a really good floor rotation aside from Abby Brenner in the leadoff spot put up a 9675, but everyone else was 99 plus. And I would say that was pretty fair. It was a really good rotation for them. And yeah, I remember thinking Miley O'Keefe's 995 was a little bit high. Not ridiculously high, but she did did have, um, particularly on the first pass, a little bit of, you know, lack of control. But, you know, I, I probably would have gone 9-9-9-8-7-5-ish range. Would have been fair for that, I would yeah. say. But I feel like vault, bars, and floor, from what I could see, Utah looked better. Um, UCLA was weaker on vault, also was a little bit shaky on beam. So I kind of feel like that's where... Utah was able to run away with it, but... And there may have been a little bit of home bias. You gotta remember, this was in Salt Lake City. Yeah. And that was something that all of the coaches in the conference agreed upon um, a couple years back. Which is interesting. Yeah, and they... it's, it's because they have a podium. And so it's not in the Huntsman Center, but it's still in an arena in Salt Lake City. And I forget exactly what the agreement was that they worked out, but the, the arena was able to provide a podium and there's some kind of agreement that they would have this meet there on the podium for a certain amount of years. Yeah. And no other school was able to like provide that, like not only the arena, but the podium the way Utah was. So they all agreed to have Utah host it going forward for, I forget however many years. <laughs> and now all the coaches are probably regretting their decision. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to at all like say like, well, we told you so like this was going to happen, but like, I mean, they probably should have known that there was a possibility of this happening. I personally, if I was a coach, would either want the conference championships to rotate between schools or to be at a neutral site. Yes. And I would love to see it at a neutral site. This is kind of what happens when it's not only hosted by a school, but repeatedly hosted by the same school as you kind of run the risk of potentially having a little bit of bias maybe towards the home team. Which is, you know, maybe what we saw a little bit of with Utah here and there, but what can you do? Yeah, I still feel like they had a pretty good meet. I think a lot of people don't like Utah, so I feel like sometimes the opinion from the masses online does not always accurately reflect what actually happened. So I try to like reserve, you know, the right to have my own judgment from watching the meet myself and kind of forming my own opinion because I remember a lot of people online were saying that Oregon State a week prior was the better team and me and you rescored it and we had them literally a point lower than Utah. Yeah. A full point. <laughs> right. So it's kind of like, I don't, sometimes I don't know if it's because people just don't like Utah. It forms a really harsh opinion about everything. Right. Because I think you're always going to be more critical when you don't like a team. You're going to notice every little step, every flexed foot, every little waiver. You're, you're going to pick up on that more than you would with a team that you really, really like and you want to win. Right. So, so I think that it could have gone either way. Like, I'm not necessarily saying that Utah deserved to win. Honestly, I don't really know how I feel about it. After watching it, I just feel like I didn't see enough of the routines from UCLA on vault, um, or really even Cal and Oregon State, 
to really properly evaluate who was overscored and who was underscored. Yeah. I feel like every team had highlights. Every team had low points. I feel like Utah, really with the exception of two shaky beam routines, really was having the meat of the season. Um, maybe that maybe that wouldn't be accurate. I'm sure they've had other meets that are up there. Um, and beam, they can be much better. But I felt like it was a really good meet for them. I didn't watch it and feel like they were having an off day. Yeah. With the exception of those two beam routines, one of which was dropped. And aside from Brenner on floor, but she was also dropped. Well, right. So when you count the score, when you take out the scores that are dropped, I mean, I feel like it was a good performance. So I guess let us know what you think, especially if you were in the arena, someone who maybe saw, you know, more than what we saw on the TV. I'd love to hear your guys' opinions on this one. And then Big Ten Championships, like we already mentioned, Michigan won that title with a 198 even. And really good. Really good performance from Michigan. And Michigan State as well finished second with a 19. I forget exactly what the score was, but it was like a 1975 that range score. Yeah, and Michigan State had a really good meet. I feel like for the first time, really, maybe ever. It wasn't guaranteed that Michigan was going to win. And so that was really exciting. Well, I Just with say, the growth of Big Ten gymnastics, we finally have teams that can be on the same level as Michigan. And I wouldn't say the first time. I remember a couple years ago, maybe like 10 years ago, where Nebraska was the other top team. And You're right. I shouldn't say ever. It, what I'm saying is it's, been, like it's been a long time. Yeah. Like in recent years, it's just been pure Michigan domination. So... We knew that they had a good chance of winning, but it also was not a guarantee with how great Michigan State has been looking. And obviously they beat Michigan earlier this year. And they also technically, their score was higher than Michigan at the Big Five Championships as well. So they technically going in had beat Michigan twice, you could say. Yeah, definitely put the pressure on this season and they looked great at the Big Ten Championships. The kind of performance that definitely could have won if Michigan was a little bit off, but... Michigan was also just really, really on. They started on bars and had a really great rotation. Yeah, I tweeted this. And I actually think it's funny. They had, I would say, one of the best bar rotations they had all year. But honestly, they had a really similar performance to be prior when they were at Georgia. Really good. It scored about like five tenths lower. Literally, it scored a 49-2-5. And at the Big Ten Championships, it scored a 49-7-2-5. So... Really the same quality of rotation, just several tenths higher at the Big Ten Championships as it should have been because it was lights out from start to finish. Stuck landings, hit handstands, pointed toes, amazing execution, really some of the best bar work in the nation. Yeah, they had a six-way tie for first on bars with Mia Takakawa, Delaney Hargis from Michigan State, and then four Michigan gymnasts with Abby High School, Carly Bauman, Natalie Wojcik, and Sierra Brooks all going 995. So just goes to show you how absolutely lights out that rotation was, truly. Yeah. It was a tie of their program record on the event. Yeah. With a 49.725. So a great way to start. They went over to Beam. Looked really solid over there. From where we were sitting in the arena, it was literally impossible to see their dismounts. Because they had some like big TV camera podium thing mm-hmm. blocking right where they would land. So we could see the routine. 
And then when they would land, we couldn't see what their dismount looked like. And we were sitting in the same section as the parents, so it's not even like they were on the other side of the arena. We can tell based off their reaction how it was. <laughs> they also couldn't see, so there was almost like just no reaction to Michigan's <laughs> beam dismounts. And I'm like, is this good? Is this bad? I don't but know. But the only routine that we could see the dismount was our queen, Abby High School, because her dismount went the opposite direction and everybody else went towards that camera podium thing. So we got to see Abby High School's full routine and her dismount and it was glorious. She received the first perfect 10 of her career as she should. It was an amazing routine and that's an event that she's been kind of inconsistent on. I wouldn't even say this season. I would say in her career. She's been kind of hit or miss on beam. She's either perfect or she's having like a two-tenth wobble. Well, and it's between the series and the cat leap side aerial. She usually nails one and then wobbles on the other. So, but not she made weekend. it through <laughs> both and really just had the dismount left and nailed it. Some people were saying that she took a step. I couldn't, you definitely couldn't tell from the arena, first of all, but looking back at the video of it, I mean, maybe if you're being like really nitpicky, there was like a slight movement maybe, but I... Personally, with the way judges throw out 10s these days, I would say that was consistent with some of the other 10s that we've seen in the nation. Oh yeah, for sure. If anything, it looks like she just brought her heels together. Like she was back on her heels a little bit more. Yeah. Um, instead of really like pressing in and sticking the landing fully and controlling it, it seemed like she kind of like landed with her body leaning slightly more back on her heels and brought them together. That's kind of what the movement looked like to me. It wasn't really like a clear hop. So it's kind of hard to tell. And I would imagine that in fast motion, it's also probably hard for the judges to tell, especially when it's that minuscule of a movement. Right. We're not talking like a clear hop, um, but something rather minuscule. So the routine itself was absolutely gorgeous. And we've talked about Abby before on the podcast, but she's one of those gymnasts that has just such perfect technique that the only deductions are the deductions. Like she doesn't give away anything additional. Yeah, but there's no built in deductions. So we were super excited to see her get the 10. Obviously she won the big 10 title on beam because of that. And then she also won bars. She was a part of that tie we mentioned and she won the all around as well for the second year in a row. So super, super proud of her to do that in her fifth year. She, you know, originally wasn't even going to come back for the fifth year, but so glad that she did because she's been such a huge asset to the Michigan team and is having great individual success as well. And I think to do that in your fifth year is really difficult. There's some fifth year athletes that I feel like aren't quite competing at the same level as they were their senior year. And it's not to say that they like peaked too early or anything like that, but I think it's really hard to sustain that really, really peak level of gymnastics and that consistent level of gymnastics for a whole extra year. But I feel like Abby is one of the few that has not only maintained that, but has actually gotten better in her fifth year. She's truly doing some of her best gymnastics right now. So like you said, super proud of her. And also real quickly, going back to Pac-12s, speaking of people that we're proud of, Abby Brunner, yes. transferred from Michigan, now competing for Utah in her fifth year, won the Pac-12 vault title outright. Yeah, start one of all. One of the best Yurchenko one and a half I think she's ever done. 9925 was the score and... Yeah, just super great to see her have some individual success in her 
fifth year. She's been a big part of Michigan's team. And even for Utah, just known as that really solid, consistent competitor. But and usually is in the leadoff position because yes. she's so consistent that she often gets overlooked when it comes to the individual accolades. Yeah, it doesn't and win. bigger scores. Yeah, it doesn't win as many individual accolades. So to see her in her fifth year... Also for a different school in a different conference to be able to say that she's a Pac-12 champion. You said that weird. I said it with like an accent. Pac-12 champion? Pac-12 champion. To be a Pac-12 champion and a Big Ten champion is just super iconic and we're just... I don't know if so anyone's happy. ever done that before. Yeah, I don't know. Been a Not yet, to my conference champion in two top conferences. Just our queen, Abby Brenner. But going back to a Big Ten's... Um, we mentioned Michigan State having a really good meet. Their vault was outstanding. They stock, I believe, five out of six vaults. And that's something that all season long they've been very, very good at. They don't have as many 10-0 start values. They only have two with Sage Kellerman and Nikki Smith, both freshmen. But they have some really nice Yurchenko folds with good body position in the air. And they really know how to find those landings. Sage Kellerman, one of the 10 start values that you mentioned, 9925, won the vault title as a freshman. Which is huge in her freshman year. And I thought some of Michigan State's vaults were maybe a little bit underscored. Skylar Schulte is one that comes to mind. Skylar Schulte deserves justice because she was underscored the whole day. She got second in the all-around. But I actually think that her all-around score could have been a little bit higher because she got a 9875 on vault with, I think, what would be a perfect Yurchenko full. I didn't see any deductions on it. So that I would have gone higher on. And also her floor. She got a 9-9. Hold on, I gotta verify that. No, I think she got a 9925. Hold on. Floor scoring in general at Big Tens was pretty tight. It was. Yeah, Skyla got a 9925, which is a great score, but I think that that was. One of the best floor teams in the entire competition, that it deserved at least the 995 that Maya Hu and Andrew Quavia Henderson got because it was really, really clean, tumbling, controlled landings, the amplitude on the jumps, I mean, the performance, she had it all. So um, her beam was great, bars was great, stuck the landing. That was one area that Michigan State, I would say, if they had any weak point, it was bars in this meet. Um, not that the quality of the bar routines were bad. It was just the dismounts. They weren't sticking, at, honestly. Yeah. Skyline Delaney, I believe, were the only stuck landings in that entire rotation. Everybody else had, you know, hops back or forward. That would probably incur, I would say, at least a tenth, if not more, in deductions. Right. So that was probably the biggest area that they were going to be looking to improve going into postseason. But was really, really impressed with them and the fight that they had. Iowa was another team that I had a lot of fun watching, particularly Karina Munoz, the freshman. Absolutely lights up the arena. They Even when she's not competing, she's like running around, getting people hyped up. And I just love to see that level of energy and confidence from a freshman. And there was a really good energy in the arena. Obviously, it was in Iowa, so it was a lot of Iowa fans, but... A really great environment, which we've never really had in the Big Ten Conference, in my opinion, before. Like, I've never quite experienced that, where it almost kind of felt like an SEC championship. Yeah. Because the crowd was so hype, really, really loud. Corey Tomlinson was there, and he had a big part in, like, being the hype man. And Well, he was, like, the MC for the meet. And the, I've never been to a meet where they had an MC. <laughs> so, in college. In college, yeah. yeah. So, um, definitely got the crowd hyped up. It was really engaging for the fans. <laughs> oh, God, you got to mention <laughs> And then you guys have to have seen on Twitter, he was, like, talking to Gabby Steven from Michigan State's dad. And because he posted that video of him doing a back talk. 
after I forget what meet it was, but they went over one night eight and he yeah. did a back tug, and then he came out on the floor and did it at the start of session two of Big Which Ten. Which is like a lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> I know. There was a part of me that thought this was a bad idea from the get-go. But I also thought it was a good idea. Like, I think it's really fun for the crowd. And I was looking forward to it. Like, I was <laughs> looking forward to it the entire week leading up to the Big Ten Championships. They couldn't get any other dads to do it. And the reason is probably what happened. Because of what happened. The proof is in the pudding. So, Gabby Stevens' dad, I don't know if there was a video going around, I don't know if you guys saw it, but he pretty much jumped straight into the air and did not rotate at all and came crashing down on his head. He literally did a back tuck to his head. And poor Gabby was in the wings, like, to the side of the arena, and she saw him do that, and this was right before she was about to march out to compete. And her dad was fine, by the way. Like he that we know of. He immediately got up, and it was like I think they should have done like they should have checked him for a concussion. I was not even kidding. I was like kind of concerned. Something like he appeared to be fine. He did appear to be fine. He was in the stands. Sometimes, the rest of the he, sometimes people appear to be fine, and they're actually not fine. So if anyone out there knows Gabby Stevens' dad, Can let you us please know. verify that he's okay. Yeah, let us know that he's okay, please, because we were worried about him. Um, but Corey was just trying to bring fun things like that, and that one kind of backfired a little bit, but it was a really great meet to be a part of, and I'm glad that we went, because it's been a while since we've been to a Big Ten Championship. Okay, so moving on to regionals, I'm going to real quickly read off who is in what regional, and then we'll share our hopes or our predictions, I guess, however you want to look at it. So for the Norman Regional, we have Oklahoma, Alabama, Kentucky, Ohio State, Arkansas, Illinois, and Iowa. And then in the play-in round, you have NC State and Ball State. For this one, I think I'm going to go Oklahoma, of course, and then I'm going to go Kentucky with an upset. Kentucky has been having a really good season, so I could see it happening. Actually, at the SEC Championships, they were leading after the first rotation. Yeah, they've been looking really good. So I'm going to go with an upset here and say that they're going to edge out Alabama to make it out of that regional. I could see that. I'm also going to go with Oklahoma, obviously. My gut is saying Bama, because I also think that Bama really turns it on in postseason. They're one of those teams that is kind of, I don't want to say average during the season, but they, they've been a little bit off. And they have weaker points throughout the season that you kind of almost start to write them off in your head. And then postseason comes and then they absolutely pull it out. So I could kind of see that happening here. Um, I am going with Oklahoma-Bama is my final two. Okay. Then we have the Pittsburgh Regional, which is Florida, Cal, Michigan State, Arizona State, Maryland, Western Michigan, and West Virginia. And then in the play-in round, you have Towson and Penn State. This one, I think, is going to be an absolute bloodbath. I think a lot of people online are saying the UCLA Regional and the Denver Regional is the toughest one. But in my opinion, this is actually the toughest regional. I think it'll be easy for a team like Florida to make it out alive. Because they are, I think, significantly and more consistently better than the other teams. Yes, but for a team like Cal and MSU, they're pretty evenly matched, I would say. They're both teams that are on the rise, both teams that seem to be gaining momentum and really kind of hitting their stride in the later half of the season. Both teams are really consistent. They are both super refined and clean in their gymnastics. I really think that it could be either of theirs. And, you know, Cal is technically ranked higher, but 
maybe I'm a little biased, but I think I'm going with MSU. I feel, something about this year just feels like their year. I agree with you 100%. I could have seen them winning the Big Ten Championships, like we mentioned. So I definitely can see them making it on to Nationals as a team as well. Yeah, that was a feeling that I had at the start of the season. Just that this was going to be Michigan State's year to do it. Yeah. And I think I'm going to put that one on my paper as well. Okay, so moving on to Denver, we have Michigan, LSU, Oregon State, Denver, Minnesota, Georgia, and Nebraska. So this is another oh, one. Oh, and then, sorry, playing rounds. We have Arizona and North Carolina. This is one that I think is still a really tough regional. Kind of like we just said for Florida, I think that Michigan, barring anything disastrous, should be okay. I think that even on an average day, they are still better than at least two. Because, again, you don't have to necessarily win your regional. Of course you want to, but you know, you ideally want to be the top two to, to make it out. So I think that Michigan, barring anything disastrous, should be able to be a top two team here to advance on. It really is going to come down to who the second team is. So then you're looking at an LSU, Denver, Minnesota. You know, I'm going to go all out and I'm going to say Georgia is going to make it. Honestly, I wouldn't be mad about that. They they are still technically the lowest ranked team in the SEC, but they are much improved from last season. They are not as much of a roller coaster to watch anymore, if you will. They've seemed to have, you know, started to be able to put together complete meets, which is an improvement from last season. So, hey, I'll take it. I don't know if they're quite good enough to make it <laughs> on to nationals, but hey, I mean, anything could happen. I wouldn't be mad about it. I would like it, but in all seriousness, I think it's going to be Michigan, and then I'm kind of torn between Denver and LSU. I think that Denver might have a slight edge being at home, mm-hmm. but I also think that LSU is just really gritty this season, Yeah, and they're finding a way, despite all the injuries, all the adversity, they're finding a way to just make everything happen. They're ranked sixth in the nation, which is actually incredible considering that half of their roster is injured. And it's not just like the people that may contribute on an event or two throughout the season, but they're not, you know, your consistent top all-arounder or top performer in any event. It's actually those big people that are injured, with the exception of Haley Bryant and Aaliyah Finnegan. They've really had a lot of their big key players like KJ Johnson on vault and floor, Kaya Johnson in the all-around. Cami Hall was somebody who was expected to be a big vault score for them this season. Kai Rivers has been looking really great on beam. So they've had a lot of key players go down with injury. And I think the way that they've been able to fight back and still somehow continue to get better and improve and post scores that are competitive with some of the top teams in the nation is actually really admirable. And I'm kind of rooting for LSU, which I never thought that I would say (laughs) because I, you know, if you've listened to our podcast the last several years, we are not the biggest LSU fans. It's not that I dislike LSU, but... They just aren't one of my favorite teams. They're not typically a team that I root for. But I don't know. This year, I'm kind of feeling it. And with the way the last two postseasons has gone for them, they haven't been to the NCAA Championships in a while. And I this year, of all the years, you would think would be a year where they wouldn't do it again. You'd think they would be absolutely written off. But every time you, like read something on Twitter and you're like, this is it for LSU. Like this, they can't get any worse than this. It somehow does get worse, but they somehow keep getting better. Yeah. It's so impressive. So, so I got to go with Michigan and LSU in this one. I, did we mention Oregon state? Yes. I know you did when you read your thing. I think when I was like mentally looking at my list here, I completely oh. skipped over. Oregon I mean, state. I read them off as if they were there, but no, I, I know you did. I'm just, 
They also are in the mix. I think I I mentioned like Denver and Minnesota and I didn't mention Oregon Mm. State and I want to make sure that I include them because, you know, they are very much a strong team. Actually one of the top teams in the nation on beam. Last I knew they were in third as a team. That might be wrong now, but nonetheless, they are incredible on that event. They have Jade Carey, who is an absolute machine on every event and is capable of perfection. And they are in it as well. I think that it's going to take more than just Jade Carey (laughs) bringing her team through I think they're gonna need Maddie Dagan to be on I think they're gonna need Lauren Lutz to be on I think they're gonna need their entire team to really kick it into high gear to be able to make it past a team like Michigan and even LSU and Denver when they're at their best but definitely a team that is still in the mix I would say and then the last regionals Los Angeles we have UCLA Utah Auburn, Missouri, Stanford, Southern Utah, Washington, and then the play-in round, BYU and Boise State. So this regional, I think on paper, you look at it and it looks lethal. There's a lot of really, really strong teams in here. But what I would say about Two this Two of which one, were fourth and fifth last season at the end of the season. Right. This is the regional that really had all the teams that kind of like upset it last year. Missouri and Auburn. They're those on-the-brink teams. But what I think is interesting about this one is that when you have a team like UCLA and Utah, I wonder how much a team like Auburn or Missouri really stands a chance to make it out because UCLA and Auburn are two of the best teams, or sorry, UCLA and Utah are two of the best teams in the nation. I think that those two, barring anything disastrous, are blocks to move on to national. So again, it's one of those things you look at it and you're like, Oof, that's like an intense one. And it is an intense one. It can get messy and intense real quick. I think that based off of history, history of this season, I mean, and what these teams have done this season, I think that UCLA and Utah are the clear favorites to advance out of that regional. I think they are leaps and bounds ahead of a team like Auburn, especially without SUNY because SUNY is not competing at the moment. We don't know if she will be back for postseason. It does not seem likely at this rate. So you're looking at an Auburn team without SUNY and then you're looking at a Missouri team that has looked really, really strong this season, but I just don't know if they have quite enough juice to be able to pass a team like UCLA and Utah when they're on so it'll be interesting for sure but yeah I agree with what you're saying I think UCLA and Utah are the clear favorites to come out of this regional and that's not to say that one of these other teams couldn't upset them if they have an off day but I think if everything goes as planned which we know it doesn't sometimes right hence last year and the regional that had UCLA Mizzou LSU and Michigan like it can be that way sometimes but I think I'm gonna go with Utah you saw. You saw. <laughs> oh my. UCLA and Utah, aka you saw out of the LA regional. And that'll be a fun one because it's a rematch from Pac 12s. Yes. So I think that UCLA is going to be angry and they're going to be hungry. And I think that Jordan Childs in particular is going to be on a manhunt to have a better meet than she did at Pac 12s. And it's going to make for a really exciting competition. So let us know your thoughts on social media or send us a message, however you want to reach out. But let us know your thoughts, not only on conference championships, but on who you think is going to advance out of regionals. Yeah, send us your brackets. Everyone right now is filling out those NCAA brackets, and it's a really fun way to see not only who is in each semifinal, but then also what the potential could look like going into nationals. 
um, based off who you have advancing. Right. You can kind of almost start to build out who teams, when you get to NCAAs, who they have to knock off to make it to the finals and yeah. things like that. So it really just lays it all out for you and it's easy to kind of process what you think the postseason is going to look like. So And I love to see other people's predictions. So please feel free to send them our way. I love that we said this was going to be a quick episode and here we are 50 minutes later. This always happens. I'm always like, this is going to take 20 minutes. Let's get it done. I'm thinking like 15. Let's bust it out. But then we just start talking. Well, it's hard because I want to cover everything. I want to make sure that we give everything its proper due and credit. But it's also hard because I don't always have the time to sit here and talk for, you know, like an hour and a half like I would like to. Right. So we thank you guys, though, for tuning in. It wasn't as much of a mini episode as we thought it was going to be, but... We hope you enjoyed it. And again, reach out and send us your brackets and your predictions. And next week, stay tuned. So this episode will probably be up eh, maybe Monday night if I can get it up. Um, we're recording this at 630 at night on Monday. But so it might be up tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, and then the following Monday, we will have an interview with Jenny Hansen, who we mentioned earlier in the episode, holds the perfect 10 record that Trinity Thomas is chasing down along with Jamie Dancer. So we will have a really exciting and interesting conversation with her about the current climate of NCAA gymnastics and scoring and, and how it feels to have a record that stood the test of time. I mean, really, it's crazy that we're just now getting to a point where someone like Trinity, who is doing so in a fifth year, not to take away from what Trinity is doing, but it took this long for a gymnast to get to the point where they could surpass that record and yeah it's so crazy six years i believe <laughs> yeah so really really impressive and a testament to jenny and jamie and how incredible of athletes they were during their time so we're really looking forward to the interview and we hope you guys are going to as well and with that we hope you guys have a great week bye bye